I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, October 30th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, state officials begin the process of assessing the damage on the coast after Hurricane Zeta raced through southern Mississippi. And days away from the election, the two leading Senate candidates make their final appeals to voters. Then those casting ballots will decide the fate of a Jim Crow era constitutional provision. We examine the law historians say was designed to keep black Mississippians out of office. Plus some Halloween fire safety tips. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. State officials are beginning to survey the degree of damage caused by Hurricane Zeta. The storm came ashore in southeastern Louisiana yesterday as a strong Category 2 hurricane before moving swiftly across the New Orleans area and into Mississippi. Governor Tate Reeves says the storm maintained its strength as it passed through the state's southern counties, resulting in significant damage. I don't think there's any doubt that there was a, uh, an expectation that as this particular storm made landfall, uh, that it would weaken uh, in strength. Uh, that is a, a model that occurs just about every single time uh, that hurricanes are, are hitting a landfall in the Gulf. And unfortunately, um, last night, uh, this storm, which, which hit landfall at a very high Category 2 level, in fact, one mile per hour winds below a Category 3 hurricane. Uh, It really didn't lose strength uh, throughout its time in Louisiana and its time in Mississippi. And because of that, uh, we're seeing significant uh, damage uh, throughout uh, South Mississippi. It's obviously the worst in our three coastal counties, but it is significant damage uh, throughout South Mississippi. Zeta was the 27th named storm of a busy hurricane season. Until the storm swept across the state, Mississippi had largely been spared major impacts. Greg Michelle, director of the Mississippi Emergency Management Agency, says Zeta serves as a reminder of the unpredictability of tropical cyclones. This storm that hit the Mississippi Gulf Coast last night is indicative of the unpredictability of storms that are in the Gulf. 
Uh, this storm did nothing and made no, uh, no uh, signs whatsoever about slowing down in strength. And as the governor has already mentioned, this storm uh, made landfall as a very high and was only one mile an hour away from being a Category 3 hurricane and maintained that strength for two hours, which is why we've seen so much destructive. This has been, was our fear yesterday as we saw this storm coming about, is what we would see would happen. This was a nighttime event. Uh, these very heroic emergency responders that came and responded here uh, to do this rescue put themselves in, uh, and their lives uh, in harm's way to make sure that they responded. Uh, but it's indicative of Team Mississippi and what we do when we come together. Damage assessments are still being conducted in areas hardest hit. But Michelle says one thing is certain, there could be sustained power outages. Uh, I want to just uh, let everybody know that in some places there's going to be uh, long-term power outages. There were some transmission lines that were affected during the storm. That is going to delay, in some cases, the restoration of power. So just want everybody to be patient. Uh, we are working together to get uh, short-term supplies down um, in the coastal counties that need it. So just be patient as you, these utility crews continue to work to restore power, and they are rapidly doing that and will we'll do so. Uh, again, I want to thank all the emergency responders that, uh, that were on site and responded last night. Uh, to do what they did. I'm very proud of, uh, of our folks and our team. Some of the damage in parts of the storm-ravaged coast is easy to see, pointing to a home knocked off its cinder block stilts. Governor Tate Reeves says events like this require all Mississippians to show they care for one another. Well, look, it's a tough time. I mean, if you, if you lived in that home behind me that was uh, 15 to 20 feet in the air 24 hours ago and now it's sitting on the ground, um, you've lost uh, so much. And, and what I want to say to the people that have lost so much is, is really just simply uh, we care. People care. And, and we're going to be here to help. Uh, we're going to bring the full resources of the, the state government, uh, the federal government. Um, but we also are going to bring the full resources and the compassion of the people of Mississippi. And so um, we're going to do everything we can to, uh, to reassure people uh, that as, as tough as it is right now, and by the way, um, the, the fact that the, this hurricane hit South Mississippi doesn't change the fact that we're still dealing with COVID-19. We still have other issues that are very challenging, um, but um, we, we want to just be here and, and, and really talk to people on the ground and, and reassure them uh, that we're going to do everything in our power to help. And, and I am confident that all three million Mississippians that were not personally affected by this storm are going to do everything they can to be helpful as well. Mima says it is currently monitoring another disturbance in the Western Caribbean. Hurricane season officially ends November 30th. Coming up days away from the election, the two leading Senate candidates make their final appeals to voters. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. If you ever miss one of our locally produced shows or want to simply hear it again, you can find what you need at mpbonline.org or download our podcast app to your smartphone. MPB programming is on your schedule at mpbonline.org. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. 
This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Two candidates running for U.S. Senate in Mississippi are facing each other for the second time. Republican Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith is the first woman to represent Mississippi in Washington. Her Democratic challenger, Mike Espy, is looking to become Mississippi's first black U.S. senator since Reconstruction. The two ran against each other in a 2018 special election, following the resignation of former Senator Thad Cochran. Hyde-Smith won by seven points, but recent polls show that lead has been cut in half. Senator Hyde-Smith spoke to voters at an annual Hobnob event in Jackson, touting her record as junior senator as a core reason voters should give her another term. We've achieved some really good things for Mississippi. A lot of folks will tell you that getting a bill through Congress won't happen right away. They'll say new senators have to bide their time, but that's not how I operate. I moved quickly to get on the committees that benefit Mississippi the most, appropriations, agriculture, and energy. And the very first bill that I introduced was signed into law by President Trump. I was very proud of that, that the very first bill I introduced, the president signed into law, and it was to extend duck hunting season, which our conservationists and our hunters were very happy about. I've helped deliver major emergency assistance for farmers affected by natural disasters. We secured more than $2.5 billion for Mississippi roads and bridges and made important investments in rural broadband. I've supported, proudly supported, President Trump's economic agenda, which in 2019 pushed median household incomes at an all-time high and left poverty rates at a record low before the pandemic. And that's just the beginning. The incumbent of the traditionally red state also expressed her views on immigration and the transformation of the court under President Trump. We shouldn't have to have a pandemic to take control of our borders. We must continue our work to secure our borders, improve law and order throughout the country. And that includes Mississippi. The influence of drug cartels supported by those crossing the border illegally is very evident in our state. You just talk to any law enforcement officer. Human trafficking is a serious crime in our state, also linked to illegal immigration. And yes, COVID-19 has mostly closed our borders, but the problem remains we must secure our borders. I serve on the Homeland Security Appropriations Subcommittee And that's exactly what we're doing. Well, all of this said, we haven't yet touched on the transformation of our judicial system and the appointments of so many judges. Challenger Mike Espy, in a pre-recorded statement, centered much of his statement on pandemic recovery and moving Mississippi forward. The pandemic has heightened our need in Mississippi. So uh, we need to do everything we can do to make sure that we have more spending, uh, for uh, these urgent times. And although uh, I'm somewhat of a deficit hawk because I served on the budget committee uh, the entire time I was in the Congress, so I'm worried about out-of-control federal spending. But for times such as this one, this is not a time to be worried about that. I'm going to follow Federal Reserve Bank Chairman Jerome Powell when he said that now is not the time to hit the brakes. Now's the time to push down on the accelerator 
to step on the gas so that we can deliver the much needed funds where they are needed and where they are most critical. It took Mississippi 10 years until October 2019 to recover to pre-recession levels of concerning jobs. Way after the rest of the country had recovered, Mississippi was still trying to get there. So we Mississippians, all of us, rich and poor, white and black, we must prevent that from happening again. Citing health outcomes in education, SB presents himself as the choice to lift Mississippi out of the basement when it comes to those key metrics. He claims the incumbent, Hyde Smith, is holding the state back. I know I don't have to tell you that our state still often ranks last. Mississippi, unfortunately, remains last in health outcomes. It's last, unfortunately, in educational attainment. It's last in job opportunities, so it's really hard to find skilled workers to fill open open jobs, to find affordable health care for your employees, to keep your best employees and partners from leaving the state, to transition from Mississippi to places they think are greener pastures in Atlanta, New Orleans, Memphis, or Nashville. We want them to come right back here in Mississippi. My children, my grandchildren, your children, your grandchildren, we want them to make sure that they're greener pastures right here in Mississippi. We're last, we have the least, and too often we have to make do with less. And like you, I'm so, so, so sick of it. It's become clearer in the last two years that my opponent, Cindy Hyde-Smith, is holding Mississippi back with her jokes of public hangings, with her glorification of Confederate symbols, and her failure to support changing this new Mississippi flag that I'm going to vote for. Senator Hyde Smith says she loves Mississippi, and really I believe that she does, but she loves the old Mississippi. Both candidates will appear on Tuesday's statewide ballot, along with Libertarian candidate Jimmy Edwards. Coming up, voters will decide the fate of a Jim Crow-era constitutional provision. We examine the law historians say was designed to keep black Mississippians out of office. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Walt Grayson. You can now listen to the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi with Mile Marker. We are Now You Could Drive-In Theater. We're the last operating drive-in in the state of Mississippi. Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. Freaked me out that you could come and drive your car and park and watch the movie outside. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org slash radio or by using your favorite podcasting app, Mile Marker, a Mississippi Roads podcast. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. A referendum on the November ballot in Mississippi seeks to remove a Jim Crow era law historians say was designed to prevent blacks from holding statewide office. MPB's Desiree Frazier explains. The Mississippi Constitution of 1890 requires that candidates for statewide office win a majority of the popular vote and they must also win the majority of the state's 122 House districts. Otherwise, the State House of Representatives decides who wins. Robert Luckett is Associate Professor of History at Jackson State University. I think most people don't know 
that it's possible for someone running for governor or lieutenant governor to win the majority of the vote in the state, but then not be elected because of this requirement. Like you have to have the majority of electoral college votes in order to win the presidency. In Mississippi, you have to win the majority of House districts. Mississippi is the only state with this two-tier provision. House Concurrent Resolution 47 would change that. Put simply, the candidate who has more than 50 percent of the vote wins the election. If no candidate achieves that, there's a runoff between the top two vote-getters. Robert Luckett. It's definitely time to to bring that part of our state constitution into the 21st century and and kind of reject the the history of Jim Crow that necessitated its creation to begin with. Leslie Burrow McLemore, professor emeritus of political science at Jackson State University, explains the current process was put in place to prevent blacks from winning statewide office after Reconstruction. He says the provision was part of the Mississippi plan a strategy to disenfranchise blacks. You may recall until 1940, Mississippi was a black majority state. There was this fear that blacks would take over power or the white powers that be did not wish to share power. Blacks who've run for statewide office haven't garnered enough votes in elections to go through the process. The provision was used in 1999 in a tight race for governor between Democrat Ronnie Musgrove and Republican Mike Parker. Musgrove won the popular vote, but he and Parker each carried 61 House districts. The democratically controlled House confirmed Musgrove as the winner. A legislator for 40 years, House Democrat Percy Watson of Hattiesburg recalls the race. It was somewhat contentious, and it was something that uh, should be decided by the people as opposed to the Mississippi House of Representatives. Last year, four black Mississippians filed a federal lawsuit against the state, arguing the two-tier provision discriminates against blacks and dilutes their votes. The case was filed ahead of the November election for governor between then-Lieutenant Governor Tate Reeves and Attorney General Jim Hood. Leslie Burl McLemore was one of the plaintiffs in the case. He says there was a concern a close race could have gone to the House. Given that the House of Representatives uh, is majority Republican, is that the uh, legislature would have chosen, I'm sure, the Republican as opposed to uh, selecting uh, Mr. Hood, who at that time was the attorney general. A federal judge didn't block the two-tier process, but he expressed concern that it is unconstitutional. During this year's legislative session, lawmakers passed House Concurrent Resolution 47, which, if approved by voters, removes the House from the election process. Republican Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman. I think it's the best way to go forward and also is a matter of some litigation. We're hopeful that the litigation will be resolved by this vote and we're also hopeful it will give Mississippians a a chance to make sure that they elect somebody by a majority vote. Lawmakers say they're confident voters will approve House Concurrent Resolution 47 that will remove a relic of the past they agree has no place in Mississippi's future. Desiree Frazier, MPB News. You can find the most up-to-date information about this referendum and more at mpbonline.org slash election. Coming up, some Halloween fire safety tips. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hey, this is Malcolm White. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. 
Every week we talk with visual artists, musicians, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcast app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Tomorrow is Halloween, and the state's fire marshal says there are some key safety tips to consider, whether families are trick-or-treating or taking in a fall bonfire. Mike Cheney begins by advising parents to be watchful of costumes around flames or candles. Most Halloween costumes that you buy at the big box stores for your children today, they're safer than what they used to be. When I was a child growing up, you just didn't have the costumes you have today. But some of those were not safe. If they wrapped you up in what we call crate paper, it would burn. Mm -hmm. So today, that's a little different. We have safer, the bottom line is, Costumes today are safer than what they were 10 or 20, 25 years ago. But what are some of the hazards that parents should be aware of for Halloween? Parents should be very aware of, on on a Halloween costume, they should be aware that if you're around a pumpkin that has a burning candle in it, that it can catch costumes on fire. They are a fire hazard. People often will put candles in carved-out pumpkins and forget that they had maybe six of them. They'll put five out, and one will not be put out. And you may you you may have a fire hazard from not putting that candle out. So what we tell folks to do: if you have a pumpkin that you've carved, put an LED light in it. They're really cheap with a battery. You're only going to use them once, uh, or one night, or maybe two nights. Or use a plug where you can have a small um, plug uh, plug-in light that's in the in the um, pumpkin itself. They're a lot safer than using the candle. I think because of COVID, a lot of people will gather outside for parties because it is safer. They can socially distance. And that may mean some more bonfires. What are some safety tips if you're having a bonfire in your yard or out in a public space? If you have a bonfire in your yard or in a public space, you want to be certain that you have a fire extinguisher handy and have a, have a hose or water available to put a bonfire out. Bonfires can get out of hand real quick, especially if you have a high wind um, during the time of the bonfire. If you are in a public event, most public event bonfires are uh, pretty well protected by the local fire codes, and they will usually have permission from the local fire departments to have that bonfire. So they have the right procedures in place and how to put it out. The main thing you want to do is to, if you have small children around bonfires, to be certain they are very aware and cognizant of the fact that they can catch on fire or be burned if they get too close to the fire, especially if they have a costume on. Even though those costumes may be uh, to somewhat what we call fire retardant, they're not fireproof. They're just fire retardant. It means it takes a longer time for them to burn. So we, we tell folks, be very careful. Uh, make sure people understand the dangers of being around a bonfire or being too close. With a bonfire or a campfire, for that matter, is it important or necessary to dig a trench around the perimeter of it? If you're camping out during the fall and you have dry leaves on the ground, uh, one of the things you learn as a Cub Scout or even a Girl Scout is to dig a trench around your fire pit. Uh, That's to prevent the fire from uh, spreading outside of that circle. And it also uh, captures water if you have a rain. So 
uh, you know that ground's usually going to be wet. And a lot of people uh, will dig a trench around it and fill that trench with a little water just so that you know it's damp and the fire won't cross that barrier. Uh, that's just to prevent the spread of the, of the fire, especially if you're in a camping area. Uh, be very careful with the fire. You know what's happening across the United States, especially in areas like Colorado, Nevada, and California, Oregon, and Washington states, and even within the southern southeastern states, we've had a lot of fires um, just due to high wind and dry conditions. Very be sad. very careful about building a fire. Mike Cheney is the state fire marshal, and I thank you so much for the good tips. Well, one tip I'd like to say, Karen, sure. is that um, – with Halloween and the and the time changing on Halloween night, it's a wonderful time for people to check their smoke alarm when uh, daylight savings times ends on Sunday, and make certain that they still work. If the batteries need to replace and replace them, so test it by pushing the button. It'll sound a little loud, but at least you know you've got a smoke alarm. We have found that over 50% of our fire deaths in the state of Mississippi occur in homes or places that do not have a working smoke alarm. So we encourage folks, if you want to stay alive, get a smoke alarm. Thank you so much. State Fire Marshal Mike Cheney. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter, and fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.